Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where each week we wander deep into hospitality woods and forage for knowledge. How much did you eat over Thanksgiving? <laughs> Too much, mon frere. That's the answer. How many meals are you skipping post-Thanksgiving? I haven't eaten since. <laughs> Four days. What was the standout dish? God, you know, I liked them all. Yeah. But uh, Very political answer. Yeah. Who cooked? Now, we are punking you guys because it's actually recorded before Thanksgiving. <laughs> I will be in uh, Las Vegas this year for Thanksgiving visiting my wife's family. We did the same thing last year, and it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. All right, cool. Danny, what are you up to this? I'll be in L.A. with my family, and I am also looking forward to a feast. Is that an annual thing for you guys? Yeah, you always, yep, always LA. in L.A. Who cooks? My father. Oh, yeah? He does a good job. Has that been the thing ever since forever, since yep. you were a kid? Yep, pretty much. Pretty um, standard I think fare. over the years, he has just taken on more and more, uh, whereas potentially when we were younger, other people were supplementing dishes. I think now, mm -hmm. you know, my brother supplements a little bit. Um, my aunt will bring dessert. Do you think he generally. feels the pressure of his son being a culinarian? Mm. <laughs> he has to dazzle you. That would be so funny if he has like this big internal pressure. He's like, no, oh, Danny's coming. I, no, no way. Not a chance. <laughs> I do not factor into it. Uh, um, but has, yes. your dad, has your dad listened to the pod? Yeah, Is he a listener? I was going to say, uh, he actually... I have recently found out that he is a listener, and he thinks that we say the word cool too often. We or you? That's a great question. Um, Maybe get some clarification. Well, I know that your dad, Tim, thought we cursed too frequently. <clears throat> I think he thought John Mannion said the F word. No. Actually, <laughs> I'm, I do need <laughs> to re-listen John to John's bus. episode and, and do an F-bomb count. Well, I just edited in a bunch of like weird fucks. Yeah. That, <laughs> All like your it. fucks are weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So oh, many. Boy. Um, but yeah, so apparently we or I say cool too much, which might make sense. It is a very cool word. Given that our guest this week, uh, the nickname that he gave me was L.A. Cool. Huh. Where'd that name come from? Well, I think that was just... Well, you're from L.A., but you're not cool. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> who knows where the cool came from? And who gave you this nickname? Um, Mike Sula. And what does Mike Sula do? He is a food writer uh he's been doing it for a very long time he started at the reader in 95 um has been writing ever since in kind of various areas but mostly has made hay uh, has in he, the food world has he gotten any recognition he has he's a james beard award winner uh for his piece we don't spoil it you gotta right. listen to the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta listen to the interview to get the full story on the james Ward, james beard award winning piece yep so, so without further ado here's our conversation with mike sula Welcome to the studio, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah, sure. Happy to be here. Uh, known you for a long time. I'll say, for sure. Yeah, Mike, uh, I actually think I met you at Danny's engagement party at Heavy Feather. I think it's the one time that we've crossed paths. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have no memory of that night I remember there was like a <laughs> night, we went to somebody's house. I, don't, I can't remember if you came with, but I went to somebody's house and had a bunch of chartreuse. They had just gotten back from their honeymoon. 
Were you yeah, there? It was Patrick. Oh, you're, Pat, you're at Pat and Tim's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. That was the one time I met Was that them. after the engagement party? Was that the yeah, after yeah. party? Yeah, and Ronnie came. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, remember I, that. I knew no one, but I'm like chartreuse. Okay, I'll go. That's, <laughs> that's a very welcoming house. Those are uh, those are our besties. We we love them. Yeah, Pat and Tim. Very yeah, very accommodating and a really nice collection of uh, spirits. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny because you went to that engagement party and I went out uh, for your kind of. We did a bachelor party for your situation. Ah, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah, us about the bachelor a, party. That was a good. That was a good time. It right? was maybe as good of a time for me as anyone and they came to scofflaw and it was toward the beginning of scofflaw's existence and they were about to go from scofflaw to barrel house and i remember and they were like yeah you should come and i kind of like checked in with andy and mandy or someone and it was like clear that i could come so i remember just like hopping out from behind the bar and joining mike's bachelor party and it Whoa. was just like the mo like this just feeling of relief came over me because I didn't have to work, you know, and it was like unexpected to just join up with were this you, bachelor party. Were you with me and Ronnie at the very end? I know there was one person Yeah, we standing. went to Diner Grill, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, I fell on my face on Irving Park Road trying to, <laughs> trying to jump the median as the sun was coming up. <laughs> I used to live on Irving Park. That was like my spot was Diner Grill. Oh, it's man. not still there, is it? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, oh, like, did they you still have the thing in the window about winning a TV? They had like a raffle going for like 10 years. Oh. Did you ever win it or that. what? I'm still waiting to find out. <laughs> did, you, uh, did, you ever, did you ever win a Slinger certificate? No, is the slinger was like their signature dish, right? Yeah. It was like um, yeah. it was like a patty on top of rice. It was like a two, it was like two, that Hawaiian dish. Sorta no rice, like two pa two patties, uh, you know, eggs, hash um, browns, hash browns, hash browns on the bottom, right? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, so. Yeah. Eggs, I think. Yeah. Um, Jardinera, if you're nasty. Um, <laughs> and che and, che and cheese, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's I a got, St. Louis thing, though. That's a St. Louis thing. I got my certificate. Oh. I still have it. Yeah? yeah I don't think too. I did it that night, but I did it at some point. <laughs> Maybe I did. Was that there... might have been a slinger and a half night. I've, I've been known to, like, <laughs> oh my I've, God. I've been known to, like, finish off, like, uh, say, Elizabeth Slinger. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> slinger, yeah, slinger. it was like a household joke at, at my apartment. That was my first apartment in the city. We should bring it back. Yeah. Was there, like, a variation, like a slingerito, or is that just a joke that I made up uh, that kind of sticks out in my mind? Tim's like, was that just a sweet joke that I told? <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that just the funniest thing you've ever heard that I said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, so where did you guys first meet? At your bachelor party? At the Whistler. Yeah, at the Whistler. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mike was friends with like Ronnie and Rob and Trix and uh, a lot of great people kind of from the LTH world. I was uh, lucky enough and, and eager enough to get in with them, learn about food, um, and then kind of I think the uh, the real, you know, sign of approval was that Mike asked me, or like, I don't know if Mike ever asked me directly to come on a review writing excursion with him, but once you went on one of those excursions, you felt like you were really part of the crew. Yeah, mm. yeah, we uh, like we 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 hooked up for some group outings like right around then. I don't know if it was necessarily in the line of duty for me, but it was. Sure, for sure. You were very, um, you were a very eager young grasshopper. At That's the right. At the time. Uh, yep. And yeah. Mike gave me the nickname uh, L.A. Cool. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and when we were opening, why didn't that stick? <laughs> no, it, it did. <laughs> it comes up. The uh, when we were opening Scofflaw, we didn't know like how we were going to have press or how we were going to announce it because we had we'd taken over this bar called Streetside and we were in the process of turning it into Scofflaw. And Mike had 
like taken some or no Dan like Mike was gonna write about it and Dan who worked kind of for us at the time uh he took some pictures but I remember like being really worried that like Dan wouldn't send the pictures to Mike in time because Mike had a deadline like he was putting out this release the next day or something and so I like staged these very awful pictures of myself at home with my home bar, just in case Dan's pictures <laughs> never made it to Mike. And I was like really worried, but I was like exhausted. And, uh, I, I guess like Dan had event, had sent the pictures to Mike, like sometime in the middle of the night. And Mike had gotten one of the professional Dan pictures, luckily. And when he released, uh, the article, the caption of a picture of me said, uh, Danny, L.A. Cool Duberstein <laughs> Shapiro because he would call me Danny Duberstein. From I forget Curb how you. Got, well. How did you get the name Duberstein? I can't. That remember. was like from Rob yeah. because of Curb. Oh, is there a Duberstein? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's like a Duberstein. It's like a Leon joke at some point. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That's the one that stuck for me. Like it's just easier to say Dubes. Yeah, What's Duber. Dubes? Dubes. Yeah, Danny Duberstein. Oh, that's uh, that's a character of Leon. Someone oh, he plays. Okay. Yeah, he pretends oh. to be Danny Duberstein. Yeah, he's dressed like a chauffeur. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so Mike wrote, gave us our first piece of press for Scofflaw, which was very generous. Was that, does that we we came in and uh, tasted your menu, right? Yeah, for, oh, yeah, opening exactly. Yeah. And Mike was part of like a very small crew of people that tasted through the initial cocktails. I think no food, but it was mm-hmm. like Mike, Ronnie, Julia Kramer, some other people. Mm-hmm. Um, like Rob Tricks, mm-hmm. who gave like initial feedback for the first menu, which I thought was, it was really cool to have that community kind of back us up. And I think for, I think for some reason after that, I, I decided I could never write about Scofflaw again, because I felt like it was a, you know, it was like a conflict of, of interest, like we were friends and um, I felt like I, that's it. I can't ever write about Scofflaw again, but I did. Cause I, I wrote about the Guapichosa. Yeah. Uh, and I defended you when, um, I can't remember her Lauren name. Lauren Vieira. Was, yeah, complained that you weren't enough of a gin bar. <laughs> <laughs> but that article was actually very uh, heavily edited because I, I, I guess I was a little too angry. Um, <laughs> I never heard about so, this. Yeah, no, I had some, like, some, some choice words were, uh, were, were, were excised from that, from that piece. Yeah. Um, I, I was told I was being too mean to Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be Wait. clear, there is gin on the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is. <laughs> not uh, enough. Not, yeah, not enough. Enough of yeah, it, no, not a hundred. Or actually, not exclusively. Gin, yeah, not exclusively. I think the complaint you yeah. had you had some other things there, like whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> all the gin joints. Yeah, and if we had been uh, New York, we would have gone all the way. But yeah, because yeah. we're we're too nice in po- Chicago, we, provincial. Yeah, we accommodated Midwest people. Flyover. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't yeah. know what's up. Yep. So that's kind of that's how we became. Fr- I mean, we were friends before that, obviously. And Mike, maybe can shed some light on the miracle berry story oh yeah do you remember that when we went to um what was it mandarin kitchen no no not man sorry we didn't go to mandarin kitchen we went to like szechuan gourmet or something that's when we took that miracle berry like it was like all of us like me you ronnie it was like a group of i want to say eight to twelve of us like kind of lth people and we took miracle berry we were in chinatown I remember we had old Overholt, and that's like very. And that's, you and that, no, and you right. brought the Szechuan peppercorns back from China, and it was like all tied together. That we that like you gave them somehow to the chef, and like they were being incorporated. No, I know what you're talking about. You're okay. talking about Double Lee, um, the Szechuan place, Double yeah, Lee on, yeah. on Wentworth, yeah, right. 
No, there not Wentworth go. on uh, Archer. Okay. Um, yeah, it's Explain no longer, it's no what longer happened. there. I didn't. Yeah, I did not procure the um, the peppercorns. That was uh, Jeff Bushovsky who actually brought them back. He had green and red peppercorns, and they were like the most electrifying Szechuan peppercorns anyone had ever had. And um, Ben Lee, the chef at the time, just like. He just went balls out. Like every, every, everything, everything was like high voltage. I think we we were all just like sort of sitting there, with our heads vibrating. Um, that was a pretty. I definitely remember that. Did did we didn't we also have miracle berries in that uh, same situation? Why would you bastardize such a good meal? Maybe. I think we did I don't it. Remember that? I think we were trying. Yeah, because we were crazy, <laughs> trying yeah. to electrify an electrified situation. Young pups out painting the town red. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that was a very, like, once we started eating it, things got just really quiet. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. It was crazy, just the amount of, like, that numbing spice. I love the Szechuan numbing spice. It, this was, like, on an, um, yeah, it was dialed all the way up to 11. <laughs> um, yeah, we've also, like, traveled together. We've been to Austin together. Yeah. We yeah. went to South Carolina together. Yes. Done a lot of trips. Wow. Yeah. Sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah well austin okay so austin we did some barbecue like yeah. it was for barbecue, what barbecue spots did you i mean we, i think we had a, we had an unhealthy number of barbecue. i think we only didn't do franklin we did like micklethwaite we yeah. did valentino nobody did. wanted to wait in line at franklin that's right but i feel i feel that was i mean that that wasn't a bad move because no we probably ate at four or five other places in the time we would have spent sitting in yeah. line at Franklin. Yeah. And, they were all, and most of them were just outstanding. Yeah, they were so good. Yeah. I, I wish that there were like more crazy stories from these excursions, but it was more just like eating amazing food, just kind and, of on repeat. And a lot of them have been, you know, er, er, erased by, by bourbon. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that, that was always the... Yeah, so the, who, who coordinates these trips? Who picks the spots? Is it collaborative or does someone take the lead? It's been a while, yeah, but it was like while, it was yeah. like a it was kind of like an annual boys trip that yeah. um, that we uh, well South Carolina was with uh, Ross yeah <laughs> <laughs> so there's one funny story I guess there uh... <laughs> I don't know where you're going but <laughs> uh, well basically yeah I mean Ross will never listen to this I'm sure um, who knows yeah until he's tagged <laughs> <laughs> no basically just yeah a mutual friend of everyone hosted us was gracious enough to host us at his house and I don't know like did we get out of control there was like a mess and Ross was like asking people to clean up after themselves which isn't like a crazy request <laughs> but there was like some amount of pushback from the crew there's some drama that might be might be able to explain uh, I, I remember i got in trouble because i undercooked the lamb chops because this this gas grill out on the porch was just like spewing just like a tiny little trickle trickle of gas at the tiniest flame and it it took forever there was a there was like no sear on them they were like bloody inside and i thought they i thought they were good but mm ross didn't approve did he give you shit for it he did yeah he's, whoa what do you mean he just he just gave me this withering look like, These are raw. <laughs> we also saw our host uh get naked on a beach that we did not anticipate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that became like uh one of those 
uh, you know, possibly traumatizing events. Yeah, yeah. He, we he some... went out on a limb, and he's like, you know what? Let's go skinny dipping. And everyone's <laughs> yeah. just standing there watching him run into watching his ass. <laughs> it was him and, and his brother, together. right? I think it was just him. Yeah. He... And it was this was on the Outer Banks, and it was it was. I mean, you know, the Outer Banks are notoriously like dangerous surf you know and there's just like they're known for riptides that just like sweep people away <laughs> the the seas were angry that day i remember i mean like just amazing crests and he was just out there in the raw just like, living his the living the, the seas did not wash away those memories though. yeah <laughs> we're going streaking through the quad yeah, it was, like, it right, was wild i mean to put it into perspective ross was like 60 years old at the time yeah Oh yeah. whoa! Yeah. yeah, but kind of, kind of like in in the in the prime. I mean, in in his primal prime. Yeah. <laughs> in his prime. Buff. He had. A, I remember he also had a plan to on on his brother's property. You know, they had, his brother was the mayor of what Smithville, yeah, South something Carolina. like that. Yeah, and he, um, but but they had like a huge amount of property, um, like just like brush and bracken and they had a very serious wild boar problem and i remember ross they were gonna they were gonna build a pen and ross they were gonna they were gonna lure a boar in and ross armed with nothing but like a homemade spear was gonna, <laughs> was gonna take this boar on uh i remember that was the plan i don't know if, i don't know if it ever happened we don't know if it was Do you executed. know about the feral hog craze from a couple years ago uh, I mean, it's, I think it's still kind of a craze, right? Yeah, yeah. but I, have you ever looked at the videos on YouTube of people, guys on... There's, like, night vision footage of guys on, like, the back of a four-wheeler just shooting hogs. <laughs> oh, my god! Like, by the dozen. It's it's worth looking up. It's kind of huh. disturbing. Is but... it, like, an uncontrolled population? Yeah, well, it started with, like, a, a Reddit thread where somebody... I was asking, like, how do you protect your kids from 30 to 50 wild <laughs> boars or something like that? Or something feral And hog. it was, like, legit? Yeah, everyone thought he was joking, but it was like a real thing. And then there was a podcast about it. I think Reply All did an episode where they like investigated it. Whoa, where is this? On Reply All. No, no, where are the hogs? <laughs> uh, somewhere in the south. I want to say like... I mean, uh, I kind of think they're everywhere. They kind of, they're, they're a big oh, yeah. problem in like, uh, you know, wine country. They, you huh. know, they, just, they just tear shit up. Yeah, I think they like, back before like refrigeration and grocery store like they you just kind of release hogs out in the wild and they'd kind of gather all the nutrients and then you'd find one and shoot it and you'd that was yeah. like your sustenance <laughs> and then oh. the population got completely out of control and now it's just a punchline for our this story joiners podcast is brought to you by party can Party Can is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural, gluten free. It's 12 drinks in a single can. And guess what? That can actually floats. You can take it to the beach, the pool, on the boat, camping, hiking, to the game, everywhere you go. It is recyclable and reusable. It's a party in a can and everyone's invited. Party Can is available at multiple retailers around Chicago, around the country, and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend. And now, back to our interview. Mike, we've kind of just jumped right in, but we haven't really We're going to hit record in. now. Yeah, yeah now, now is the real time. Um, so you've been writing for the reader in some capacity since 95? Yep. 
Wow. Yeah. What was it like in 95? And were you doing food stuff then? Uh, I started to, but, um, you know, I just, I mean, I started as a freelancer. And I, I think my very first story was, uh, um, you know, I can't, like, I, you know, I, I came from Pittsburgh where I was the music editor at, at the Weekly there. But I came to Chicago. I just seemed natural to, like, just start writing about music. And I think the fr- very first thing I did was a, a review of the band. Uh, do you remember Pizzicato 5? They were, like, a Japanese mm-hmm. pop band. Uh, and they played a show at the Metro. So, I, you know, that was my very first story in the reader, hmm. a review of that. Wow. How does your ear for music compare to your palate for food? Uh, it's, it's, com- it's completely atrophied. Yeah, it's it's I'm you know I'm pretty deaf now, <laughs> as, as far as the ear goes, um, literally and figuratively. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't write about music anymore. I do like music, but yeah, um, yeah, that was that's 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 you, not really a thing. Do you find that your taste in music stalled out at a certain time, and you've just listened to nostalgia stuff? Um, yes and no. I, I mean, sh- I struggle to stay current with music. T- oh, totally. I I mean, I I rely on other people to like you know cl- clue me in on things. I definitely do not pursue it but um yeah i I mean that's what i mean it it really did sort of atrophy and i didn't um i mean maybe part of it was i you know i was i i moved to chicago and i never had i wasn't i wasn't the music editor anymore and i stopped getting free cds in the mail (laughs) um um, but yeah i know i mean i you know i i mean yesterday yesterday i for some reason i got um, do you remember the old like DC Discord band called Embrace? It's what Ian MacKay did after Minor Threat, before Fugazi. Um, I just, for some reason, I got one of those their songs in my head, and I just played the record yesterday, and it was um, like wow. I mean, it was so like he he must have been going through a really tough time because it was this totally like self annihilating <laughs> like early like pre emo um, just like self loathing. And I was like, wow, when I was 18, this was like, um, this, this must have had a really, uh, really detrimental uh, influence on my, uh, on my attitude. Um, <laughs> you know, I was really into it then. The songs are great, but wow. I mean, th- like one song is just like, it's, it's called Failure. And the chorus is, I'm a failure. Yeah. I'm a failure. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, when Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness came out, that two-disc set, my parents took it away because they said I was getting depressed. I don't. I couldn't tell if they like just read the title of the album or if I was if they actually noticed a difference in my behavior. They're like, Tim, you go clean up your room. You're like, what's the point? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I got. I got to ask. Tim, about better it. eat your dinner. Why? It seems that seems like a you know at least a pretty supportive form of parental uh, censorship. I yeah. guess. Well, there's also that big fear of like subliminal messages in music in uh-huh. the 90s like my parents were like you are not listening to beck and i'm like what <laughs> why uh, i had about a lot of cds taken away i had Shaq's uh rap tape cassette tape taken away <laughs> um i had a green day album taken away but did they you, let you, you keep censored at all Is... did they let you keep sir mix a lot didn't make it into the house oh, oh yeah you hid that one <laughs> not even close uh, my mom um one one summer uh when i was 18 um t- i i woke up uh, after a guar show and um found that the the t-shirt that i had just bought at the concert was in shreds in front of my bedroom door oh my god because my mom found i threw it in the laundry my mom found it and it, you know it was this picture of like this little monster uh you know decapitating his mother over a skateboard it said, like, <laughs> look, look mom it's my it's my look why it's my mom and um, <laughs> my mom took a like serious offense that she was i mean she was weeping i was like i felt really bad <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
Danny, were you allowed? Yeah, I, mean, I didn't see a rated R movie till like last year. I think we were allowed. Although when my parents were out of town for something, uh, a couple of people were watching us and they took us to see White Men Can't Jump and we were pretty young. And uh, they were pretty upset about that, that we'd seen this like rated R movie when White Men Can't Jump, it must have been like six or something. So, like, very young. Was it just the rating they were upset about? I, I don't remember the content. I mean, I think, like, Rosie Perez gets naked in it, oh. possibly. I'm yeah. sure there's Maybe cursing. they didn't want to crush your NBA dreams. Yeah, they didn't want to crush my NBA <laughs> dreams. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't... We weren't really sent... Like, we kind of buy whatever tapes we wanted or CDs. I don't feel like there was much censorship in my home. It shows. <laughs> you <gotta> foul mouth. <laughs> um, so when you when you went to Reader, were you hired as the food? Correct. Uh, oh no, no. I um I got a you know so I I just started freelancing at the time oh, like right. a, about anything and everything and I, I think after at the summer after I moved here, uh, it was about six months after I'd been in Chicago. They hired me as an editorial assistant, and I was. Um, I type. I literally typed in the movie showtime for every single movie at every single <laughs> theater in the city and suburbs uh, every week. That was my job on Wednesday. But um, oh. well, why don't you just tell me the name <laughs> of the film you'd like to see? It's Kramer. But I was also I was also kind of um, I, I was working with the theater, the drama listings, and the uh, the movie listings too. I was just kind of like in putting corrections and things like that and just sort of helping out wherever I could. So but just... I had a lot of, I had a lot of downtime during that. You know, I, I, I worked the first three days of the week until we put the paper to bed and there would be a lot of downtime in there. So, and I was an hourly employee, but I also got to work on stories too while I was there. So I just started writing about anything and everything I could kind of with the um, aim of becoming, uh, you know, one of these like storied, Chicago reader, staff writers that are, you know, just sent off into the wild without any deadlines and any space limitations and complete freedom to write about whatever you want. Um, Did you have a strategy at that time? Were you, were you like trying to find hidden gems? Were you trying to... Yeah. Like, what was your twist? For sure. I mean, it was always like, you know, find a story that nobody has told. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, I, and I, you know, it took like, I think about three years of just just badgering my bosses. You know, you look at what I'm doing. You gotta you gotta hire me. But and you know, in that time, you know, I started writing about I started writing about food um, because we had we did have uh, sort of a dedicated food writer at the time. She she was a freelancer, and we had a food page, um, and they and and you know, and she you know sort of got on the wrong side of management and was kind of on her way out. And uh, like I kind of I kind of stepped up after a while and. Um, just started writing exclusively about food. Um, when did you write about roller derby? 2004, uh, when it, when it launched, I found a, like someone gave me a flyer for their recruitment meeting at the, at the Cork Lounge. Is that still going on? I used to see the ads on buses all the time. Yeah. The Windy Cedar Rollers still, yeah. still exist. Is that, is that a fun out? I'm, it's, it's been a while be since, since I've been audience. to, it's been a while since I've been to about, I was just at, I was just at a retirement party for, uh, the uh the official doctor and nurse uh papa and mama doc um but yeah i haven't been to about in a super long time it's changed the game has changed a lot it's not um it used to be mm, a lot faster mm. uh and, it, and then it just kind of like slowed down in the name of kind of strategy and got kind of like 
don't know. Do you think that was like exciting. a moment in time? Are there new roller people coming up, or is that just like that generation's aging? Oh no, no, that was. I mean, that that yeah, that was kind of like a younger generation that had come in after a couple mm-hmm. years, and it, it didn't just happen in Chicago. It happened, you know, nationwide. Yeah. Uh, but it's still a thing. It still goes on. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I'm just out of touch. Hmm. But the reason I asked about it was because Tim had asked previously. It's how my you... new cute. Exactly. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where I, that's how I met my wife because my my wife was uh, one of the two founders of the of the Windy City Rollers. So I wrote a big feature about them sort of building up toward, you know, a functioning league. Um, you know, at the time I think there were like only four. There were only a handful around the country. Austin was first, um, and then. You know, the Windy City Rollers came in, I think, like, third or fourth. But, like, you know, you know, roller derby as a f- sport was started in Chicago in the 30s. Oh. Um, and so they, you know, the Windy City Rollers kind of, like, you know, that was the good hook for the story. Like, this is coming back. This started here, and it's coming back here. Um, but that's how I met my wife. Did she, did she yeah. was she a participant or just on she, the she was the Yeah, no, she founded it, and she was, uh, her, her derby name was Juana Rumble. Um, that's not a real name. (laughs) (laughs) They all took, uh, they all took, you know, punny, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, punk rock kind of names in the early days when there was a, like, you know, the first couple of years there was a lot of staged fighting and things like that. But then it sort of like grew into more of a serious sport. Kind of like, what was the Marin show, uh, with the glow, glow, Yeah, kind of like glow, but on skates. Yeah. Definitely, cool. yeah. definitely. That that was the that typifies the early days. So you met yeah. her while you were writing the story, mm-hmm. and then when did she the was basically a, she was basically like one of one of the two main subjects yeah. of the stories about her and her her partner Kelly who who founded the league. But you know there was a whole cast of whole cast of characters. And he kept cool. calling her for quotes after the piece had already been published. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, wait a second, the story's already out. What is this all about? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a, we, you know, we got together very, very shortly after that story was completed. In fact, I would say, like, um, before it was published. <laughs> after, <laughs> after, after it was completed, but before it was published. And then, I, and then I had to stop writing about the roller derby. Yeah, you uh, had to recuse yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in, so in the early 2000s, you took over food. Is that what it sounds yeah, like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, so, you know, pri- prior to that, I had been, like, writing more and more about food because we had this, um, we had this massive uh, restaurant database of, like, thousands of, like, short capsule reviews of restaurants. So while, while we did have this, f- this food writer that was turning in, like, a column every week, I saw that uh, database as sort of, you know, n- you know n- covering a lot of, like, you know, downtown restaurants with publicists and things like that. And sort of, you know, there were a lot of holes in it in terms of like restaurants out in the neighborhoods or restaurants that cater to their own particular ethnic group. Um, I just saw a lot of holes there. And I was, I was a staff writer at large and I had, you know, I had a quota, which I never met of, you know, I had to turn in that certain number of features every year, shorter features. And I saw that writing about those restaurants and going to those restaurants and visiting them and doing these short little capsule reviews of these places that really nobody else had been writing about um, as a way to find stories. What was the first one that you remember reviewing? The very first re- restaurant I wrote about, it wasn't, a, it wasn't even a review. I just re- told this story of these, these two young dudes from uh, Argentina that opened a place in Albany Park called The Penguin. And they were, they were you know, Argentina has this huge Italian population and th- this kid's dad was like, 
off the boat Italian in Argentina and he had a gelato shop. So they opened a, a, a pizza and gelato shop in, in Albany Park, which was kind of, I mean, like very unique kind of story yeah. at the time. That was the first place I wrote about. Hmm. The Penguin, RIP. Yeah. Wow. And how, how did they respond to it? Like what was, I guess, the first one that you wrote about where the people were like, thank you so much, Mike. Like you really changed... Oh, you know, our business. I don't know. I mean, I mean, hmm. well, there was it, after yeah. we stopped recording, but he, I mean, I guess you did a lot for them. Yeah. yeah you posted that on, 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 uh, yeah, and, call them out, Mike, on, call, uh, call Tim out. On, on Instagram and, and, and tagged me. And I had never, I'd never heard that before. I, I mean, that was like, he knew you had a big ego. He didn't want to blow it I up. I mean, it was, it was like very touching. He I created like, a monster. Like, now look at that kid. <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we 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 got really lucky, and uh, you know, Dr. Peter Engler had actually like scoped out Zaragoza. He spotted it before anybody, and it, and he was just intrigued by Biria Tatemara, which is like you know we all knew what Biria was, but we didn't know what Tatemara was, and it was just this very specific regional variant of of Biria. And we all we showed up at the door at three o'clock one day, and they were closed, but Jonathan uh, was in the back making you know roasting tomatoes for salsa and he spotted us and he he opened the door and um you know just very typical of his entire family just like welcomed us in and uh you know ta- talked about the business and how they got started so you know so I, ro- I wrote about them but i um i i had never heard that story that they were about to close and and whatever it was in a couple months before that happened yeah. but also like i you know i also wasn't like I, at the same time we John T. Edge was in town, and we were kind of showing him around. And he, he, I think, was with us on the day that we actually got to eat the birria for the first time. And he ended up writing a story about them for the United Airlines uh, magazine. Hmm. So I can't, like, really – I mean, it wasn't just me. I mean, no, John, no, but, but Jonathan was very appreciative – uh, that you had recognized them, and so is Birria pretty rare back then. I mean, there are a lot of spots now. I mean, Zaragoza kind of seems to. Lead I mean, the charge. that their their particular variant yeah. of it was, and and still is. I think. I think for for a minute there was another place out in the burbs that w- that was doing uh, Tatemara style, which is, you know, m- most Birria places are, uh, you know, slow braised goat. And uh, you know they just rub it with rub it with their mole and and they roast it, which just gives it a like much toastier. Um, I mean, I prefer it for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't like nobody else does that in town. That's just one of many reasons why that place is so special. Um, yeah, I mean, like, what are other places maybe similar to that that you kind of felt? Wow, this place is doing something super different, and it's kind of like. I don't know. Did you ever feel like a responsibility to like how, uh, like I how think urgent Ron, was Ronnie it, talked I guess. about places that yeah. like he didn't write about and then they went under, like there's that one Thai place he was talking about that his friend told him about. And he's like, I want to write about this place. And then he never did. And it went under. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, back, responsibility. back when I first started writing about food, it was still, I mean, like nobody, nobody else in town was like really kind of approaching it the same way, except for, for Monica at the, um, at the, uh, at the Tribune, Monica Ang at the, at the Tribune at the time. Um, and then, you know, I found, I found this community at, L, at LTH w- that were just, like, passionate about just, like, scoping out places that weren't being covered by anybody in the media. And, I, you know, I sort of jo- kind of, like, kind of joined that gang. I wasn't really ever an active poster in the forum. I was very much a lurker, but I became friends with, like, a core group of people, and that became our thing. Yeah. Um, you know, back at the time, I think, you know, we, we, di- we, un- we did a... Um, 
a barbecue crawl, and we we started writing about all the um, places that were doing like Chicago style barbecue that had not been really covered, like um, Lems and Honey One, Uncle John's, um, Uncle John's. Um, Honey One's isn't Honey One isn't still around, is it? Oh yeah, it, it is. is. Just it? not here yeah. anymore. It's uh, in Bronzeville. Bronzeville. I used to live by the one on Western. Yeah, yeah. which was great, but yeah. no one appreciated it, so they went to Bronzeville. Yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. They they did not they did not uh, you know pe- pe- <laughs> you know Humble Park. Does not deserve Honey One. <laughs> I guess that's or humble. Wicker, humble. Yeah, that Park. was like Bucktown. Yeah, Bucktown. Yeah, yeah. Buck down. Buck yeah down don't put that on Humble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not Humble. It's fault. But they, you know, they also had a, uh, you know, they had a problem with um, someone, you know, a NIMBY in, in the condo behind them who claimed that they were allergic to the smoke yeah. and was, was like kind of harassing them amazing. for a long time. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah Tim I mean, was the I, opposite of allergic to the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's like, just bring it in. Yeah. They're in a better place. They're still great. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but how many, it's got to be countless at this point, but do you remember like your first kind of eye-opening experiences where you went to some off the beaten path place and you're like oh my gosh and what what is the criteria like what are you looking for for is i imagine it's a level of authenticity something unique and how they're preparing the food i mean i guess the the first thing for me and and part of it is like kind of like selfish as a, as a journalist is like i really want something that has not been has not been covered some mm-hmm. pla- some places like very uh unique that no nobody really else is doing it. and and that's that stuff is hard to find but it you know it should also be delicious and you know that and also journalistically like i you know this is very much secondary but you know a good a good story you know like the mm-hmm. the um you know, like the Zaragozas have a fantastic story. The Adamses yeah. from Honey One, like, ha- have a great story, you know. These aren't places that have, like, huge budgets or publicists or things like that. They're just, like, more, uh, you know, sort of organically, um, you know, uh, you know, places that just sort of develop without any eye of becoming, you know, Instagram stars or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Places that just, like, kind of feed their community without any hope of ever getting covered in Eater or, um, you know. That kind of thing. Yeah. Do you miss like shining the light on those sorts of places? I mean, that's not what you do now, right? I mean, it kind of is. I mean, I didn't, you know, things really shifted during the, the, well, pa- guess, the sorry, pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I really kind of shifted. Well, first of all, I, you know, I, I, before even before the pandemic, I used to have a very generous dining budget. Like, you know, I could, I could go anywhere. I was, I write about whatever I wanted. Um, and that's, you know, that's gone now. I don't have it anymore. Uh, just cause you know, it's hard for it's hard for newspapers to support that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I I just kind of reverted to what I used to do. I just became a reporter again, and um, uh, that happened before the pandemic. I was just I was just telling people I was doing what I used to do. What I first started doing was just like telling people stories, and uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, when you know during the first lockdown, the question I got most was like, "Oh no, what are you going to write about?" And I mean, my I I. I was scared. I was scared for. I was scared for the industry. I was scared for my friends. Um, but it turned out uh, there was almost too much to write about, and I, I really kind of pivoted and um, started writing about all these, uh, you know, like virtual restaurants that popped up. People doing, um, you know, making food out of their kitchens and selling it via Instagram, and uh, that became super exciting to me because these were. You know, these were, you know, these were like line cooks and servers and bartenders and who, uh, you know, were sort of launching these concepts that never would have gotten greenlit in the brick and mortars that they had just gotten laid off from. You know, they were doing really personal food, um, you know, you know, uh, really 
hyper specific sort of like regional and you know kind of like world cuisines um that they had grown up with and uh that became super exciting to me and i there, there was so much of it at the yeah. time and i i just was very very busy and like very excited and kind of like thrilled that i didn't have to like get on the cta and you know go down to um you know river north and review like you know <laughs> the, the latest you know, the, you know, the latest small plates join or whatever, but <laughs> yeah. food, was, food was coming to the door. And, and, it, and it was exciting. That it was like exciting to tell these people stories, yeah. like the, this, this inspiration that these people had. It was just like a really What were some of your favorites from that period? Very, like one of the very first ones I, I wrote about uh, is called, um, the, they weren't called this at the time, but they're now called uh, funeral potatoes. Oh, I was going to yeah. say yeah. funeral potatoes. Yeah, they, they are, they are marvelous. They just got written as the top 25. In the Tribune. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's pretty cool. Yeah, they're and they're. Um, I mean, they've really kind of like, they've blown up. They did the first. You know, they um, sold food at the first uh, set of uh, shows at the Salt Shed this summer. Um, they're just great and super creative. This this kind of this weird like Midwestern variant of comfort food that's just um always outstanding. You know, really good. They were one of the first ones. Um, Alexis and Eve. Um, yeah, they're they're great. They're really good. And then, did this like influence Monday Night Foodball for sure? Um, so, Monday Night Foodball is you know happens at at my neighborhood bar. It's like six blocks away from my house. And uh, John, the owner, and I had like before the pandemic had actually started talking. We were going to host Gar- Gary Wiviet. We're going to do a pop up, a barbecue pop up with Gary Wiviet. G Wiv. Yeah, on a Monday on a Monday night, and then. The He's the founder of LTH. Yeah. Ah. And barbecue life coach. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Gary, Gary with you. Um, and that, you know, the pandemic hit and it never happened. Um, but, you know, John, John and I were uh, still like kind of thinking about it. And, um, you know, there, like as things opened up again, um, there were, I, had, I had written about all of these people that had launched these, these super creative businesses, uh, but didn't. Was you know serving food and, and clamshells to people and d- for delivery, and I we just saw that this, this was an opportunity to give these people a chance to like work in a kitchen and serve alaminute for people like and you know fresh hot stuff and have some drinks at the bar and it just kind of kept going. We launched it about uh, almost two years ago. And uh, are you always there for it? I'm there all the time. I'm like bussing tables. I'm running food. Are you greeting people at the door? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I work it. Do you love it? Uh, yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, I That's like it cool. a lot. It's like a one night, kind of like all out fun. Yeah, I get I get paid in whiskey. John John <laughs> John pours whiskey down my throat, and uh, you know I, He's I, got I the IV. and I fill up. Yeah. I, you know I, I you know I go I go back to the kitchen and get ice for him. Yeah, um, yeah, it's super fun. <laughs> I, I like it a lot. And the you know the, the you know the joke I tell everybody is that it that you know it allows me to indulge in the fantasy of opening a new restaurant every week without any of the financial risk and uh, um, none of the hard work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any of them been incubated into brick and mortar places at this point? Um, Or are some of them close? I mean, or is that even the aim of them? A lot of people, you know, for instance, like, like even Alexis, like, well, you know, it's been a while since I caught up with them, but you know, their, their line was always like, you know, we're happy doing this without like the overhead, you know, and, and without all the other hassles of owning a brick and mortar and we're, you know, we're doing really well. Um, another one is, you know, it's, it's not even, you know, there's sort of like a fermentation pop-up called a Vargo brother ferments. 
Um, they're really great. And they just, you know, they were, at first they were doing fermentation in their home kitchen. Uh, but now they're in a shared kitchen, you know, they just like relaunched their, um, their labeling and, you know, they've, they've got like a thriving business too. Like so. all sorts of pickled things or whatever. You... Uh, like, you know, whatever you can imagine, like kombucha, like, you know, like, um, you know, their signature G Dilla pickle, but like anything, it's just like very seasonal, hmm. um, stuff. And they have like super creative, like That's really, cool. really good stuff. This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. At what point did I assume you started getting recognized pretty early on? Did you ever have? Do you ever have to go incognito, or uh, I mean, yeah, try I did. To be under the radar when I was doing, you know, there got there got to a point where I was kind of almost exclusively doing kind of like traditional restaurant criticism, you know, writing a, a you know, sort of a, um, you know, a very kind of uh, like sort of traditional. Uh, evaluation of, of a restaurant's performance based on a couple visits, anonymous visits. Um, you know, we pay our own way. Uh, and, um, I don't know, you know, I didn't like never, I never got like, there's always this kind of like unspoken agreement. Like if they, if they marked you there, they would, they know why you're there and they would never say anything. But mm -hmm. I, you know, sometimes I'd have friends in the kitchen that would like take a picture of me on the wall of all the other critics that, you know, like, you know, a lot of restaurants have that, have, you know, yeah. have that wall of like food writers and critics. How many times have you seen the hungry hound? <laughs> I mean, he's, I mean, he's everywhere. I have my own hungry hound. Yeah. Do you, have a, you have one, don't you? Uh, you must have one. I don't know that we have one for Scott. We don't have it up. I don't know if we ever got one. For some place, you must have. Yeah, I don't think we did. That's Danny just yeah. has a guy feed. Steve's been in uh, a bunch. I was, I was on his first feed uh, podcast and all that stuff. But no, he didn't give, he, even then, he didn't give you, he didn't give you a Dolinsky? So. Yeah, we should talk to him. But I'm Mike very proud of inviting me at some point. Uh, well, he was worried that if I, I came with Mike, that yeah, no, no, that like when he was doing reviews, uh, he was, yeah, you, you would want to be anonymous. That was obviously your yeah. goal. And certainly you are correct that even if someone did notice you, they wouldn't say anything because they don't want to avoid the review. Um, but there would be certain places we'd be going to like a friend of mine or so, like someone had opened up a place where I knew the bar manager, you know, someone from the industry. And I think Mike would be more careful about not, or he just didn't want to hang out with me. But, <laughs> but one of the things he said. Well, was, that's what, I, I mean, that's what I told you. Oh, I told you. Danny, Danny, we can't, yeah, Danny, we can't it, be yeah. seen together. No, because it was like some <laughs> random place I would go. But if it was like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we did some integrity we would, uh, there. We would still, you know, we'd still like do, you know, lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, well, there's two things I feel like I, that the people must know about. Okay. Can I guess? Yeah, yeah. You can guess. Yeah. <laughs> we got to hear about the squirrels. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. I remember. I remember the day after I met you. I think Danny told me he's like, "Go read his uh, squirrel piece," and I did. And I was like, "Wow, this is amazing." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was uh, the 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 squirrel. The squirrel story was like a, a very uh, a very exciting two year saga in my life. <laughs> in my life. 
Well, uh, yeah, I want you to tell. Well, me. I used to go. You know, I garden a lot. I love. You know, and I. You know, I live. You know, at the time I was living in the third floor apartment in Albany Park, and I was growing. Uh, I was growing tomatoes in buckets uh, on on the roof of the apartment, unbeknownst to my landlord. Um, and they would. Uh, you know, squirrels. I don't know if you know this about squirrels, but they're assholes. Um, <laughs> and they would. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of happened like a certain part of the year, but like as soon as like. You know these beautiful tomatoes would like start start to ripen on these these plants. Like you'd go up in the morning, and um, just as just you know you've been watching this one for a couple of days, and it's like just waiting to be plucked because it's like at, almost at the peak of its ripeness. And you'd go up that morning when you're ready to pick it, and there'd be like a hunk not out of it <laughs> by a squirrel. And, you know this ha- this happened for like two years, and I was just like, uh, I mean, it was like the source of all my rage. I was just so I would like just like scream at the heavens. And, um, <laughs> And I started thinking about it, like, what, you know, why, what, what can I do about this? And so I started, I got like a no-kill trap at a hardware store, and I would, I would trap a squirrel like every single morning, and I would relocate it. I would take it out to the forest preserve, like a couple miles away, and um, I was doing that for a while until I, you know, so I forget how I learned this, but like squirrels, squirrels come back. Like you can take them miles and miles away, and they will find their way home. Um, so, and, and so it never stopped. They never stopped marauding my squirrels. And, th- and then I started thinking, like, well, you know, people used to eat squirrels. Like, is there any reason why you could not eat a city squirrel? Is, it, is its diet like so fucked up on alley trash that it's not something you'd want to put in your, <laughs> it's like in your, the in your system? Three-eyed fish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I, you know, I, I think I, I think I googled like you know squirrel expert Chicago, and I found one. Found this guy at the Peggy Notebart uh, Museum, who was you know his 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 doctorate was in city squirrels. He studied them, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I was really nervous about asking him because I you know I felt like I you know, almost felt like a serial killer. But like my first question was like, can, can you eat city squirrels? And he immediately was like, of course. Mm-hmm. So I, I figured I figured I figured out a way like through some help. Um, I think I could probably say their names now, but like, um, you know, Paul Faraback from from Big Jones grew up in southern Indiana. Um, eating squirrels and uh hunting them too with his his family and uh you know I, I figured out a way first I figured out a way to dispatch the squirrels and and I think probably the most humane way possible and I think you know um I guess when we published the story this this wasn't in it because it was illegal at the time but I think the statute of limitations is probably worn off but I, I basically built you know like a uh, you know I got a, a, a five gallon canister of CO2, and I would put the entire trap in a black garbage bag, close it around the nozzle, turn on the gas, and in 30 seconds, they, you know, they're gone. Um, <laughs> and even like, you know, they'd be bouncing around in the cages until you put them in this black garbage bag, and there was something about like the dark, comforting, womb-like atmosphere yeah. <laughs> that they would just immediately quiet down and just like go quietly. Huh. And then Paul Farabach, uh, you know, I, I figured out his background with squirrels. He um, and I brought one to him. Um, I was collecting them in my freezer, like night after night. And um, I brought one to him during lunch service at, at Big Jones, and we went out on the back patio, which was empty at the time. And he nailed one up to like a wooden post by its tail and showed me how to like skin it and butcher it. And then I was off to the races, you know, I was, <laughs> wow. I, was I was collecting them, uh, you know, skinning them and butchering them on my roof and kind of like unbeknownst to Elizabeth and my stepkids stashing them in the back of the freezer um, <laughs> until I had, you know, I had quite a few. 
were you squeamish at first and gradually became more uh... uh yeah i mean it's 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 it is like a very like elegant process um so but at first yeah of course i was like you know I was do, i'd be doing this first thing in the morning completely like um completely wired on caffeine my hands are shaking and i'm like slicing these bellies open um each each morning um but yeah, no, I, I mean, I feel like I got kind of good at it. Yeah, desensitized, I guess. I went squirrel hunting, like traditional squirrel hunting in southern Indiana. Um, Tim Burton of uh, um, Burton's Maple Syrup hooked me up. His nephew uh, took me out squirrel hunting one morning. And then that afternoon, there just happened to be like the Washington County um, like squ- squirrel skinning contest um, at, held at... Um, John Cougar Mellencamp's uncle's house. Mm. It was the who was the like many time over Washington County champion squirrel skinner. Yeah, and uh, he he just like he was to him it was just like peeling bananas, just pulling pulling the skins <laughs> off. <them>. Peeling bananas. <laughs> so anyway, I wrote I wrote, a, I wrote a, at the end of it I'd accumulated about twenty squirrels from from the roof and uh, threw a big party, invited a bunch of people. You know, we, we I made I made burgoo. You know, it was a traditional. Um, game stew um, and then you know Rob Levitt uh, from Butcher and Larder kind of like walked me through making a like a cup kind of pate with the offals you know saving the kidneys and the, and the livers tiny little things um, yeah we just had a big party it was fun and was there I can't remember was it were you transparent about the meat at, at the start or just oh yeah like, yeah every, everybody I mean it was it was a, it was <laughs> like a, he's like you just guess what's in your mouth <laughs> squirrel yeah no everybody knew but it was, like I made them all you know you know, put it on lockdown because it, it was still like, I was still like, what wasn't sure if what I'd done was like parts of what I'd done was legal or not. Yeah. Tetanus shots at the door. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but so I, I made it sure, like I told everybody, you know, don't put this on Twitter. Um, but that story didn't get published for a really long time yeah. be- because of the potential legalities of, of what, what I was doing. Yeah. You know, there is a, like, there is a squirrel hunting season yeah. and you're really not, you're really not supposed to trap them in the city limits. What do you use to, uh, hunt squirrel. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it was a. Gun, I think it was like the first gun I ever fired. I don't know what it was. It was like a. I don't know. It was twenty-two or something. I mean, I'd never bagged. I didn't bag one. But I. Yeah. I remember when you had written the story. It was an incredible story. But you didn't know there was like a timeline where you didn't know if the story was ever going to see the light of the yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. It took. It and was. You were like nervous because. There were like moments where it felt very unlikely that it would be published, and then moments that you know. It took months before you know it, you know went through a lawyer, um, and certain parts of it had to be the illegal parts had to be ta- had to be taken out. And I was very upset about that at the time because it seemed like a very gaping hole in the narrative. But nobody seemed to notice. Like how I how nobody ever asked me. So how did you actually kill these squirrels? Right. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah it wasn't <laughs> mentioned. It was. I think you did mention the hunting. Yeah. 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 So was there any backlash from PETA? Did anyone? No, nothing at all. Wow. I mean, it was like it was very the opposite of backlash. It was very, award, very positively know. received. I <laughs> yeah. got a, I got a letter from the mayor, well, from Rahm Emanuel at the time. Um, <laughs> and I remember when it came in, like it was, it came into the office. We were all like uh, proofreading it for grammatical errors and stuff. There were some errors in it. Um, <laughs> but it was, but uh, yeah, yeah, I still, have, I've got a letter from Rahm. Congratulations! Yeah. Uh, that was actually after, like, you, you, so it won, it won a it won a James Beard Award. So I got a congratulatory letter from the mayor after that. Very that cool. That's yeah. awesome. Well, incredible story. The second one, which some may say is even better, uh, is about your your love of April Fools. 
pranks. Oh. <laughs> uh, I sort of retired from that after one after one, after one of them because there was just I like did, couldn't. I mean, I think I tried a couple times and they all just sort of fell flat. Or, you should just tell the one of the <laughs> the crib. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote, uh, so I wrote I wrote about uh, you know oh, famous man. famous bad boy uh, chef um, Albert D'Angelo. Um, who's who's missing? Nobody knows where he is now. But he um, <laughs> he opened a, a restaurant out in the water, uh, the Carter G. Harrison Water Intake Crib. It's about a couple miles out on Lake Michigan, off of um, uh, Oak Street Beach, I think. Um, so he opened, unbeknownst, like there was no um, there was no hype to it, no like PR about it. But I I found out about it. Um, he'd opened a, a restaurant out there uh, in, in the middle of Lake in, Michigan in the in the crib. Whoa. In the middle of Lake Michigan, um, but he wasn't taking uh, like you know he would he would sit there and take uh, calls for reservations. But if it was like a you know Midwest area code, he just wouldn't pick up. He would only pick up like uh, you know uh, New York or L.A. He he didn't want Chicagoans to to come. But huh. um, and you know he like uh, you know he threatened to sue Grant Ackett's, uh for like stealing dishes from him. And you know he 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 was the first person to like uh, you know. Um, serve food on like a naked model at a dinner table like you oh. know that was popular with sushi for a while but yeah. he, did, he did it with pasta um <laughs> you know he you know he's just a bad boy you know he was, he was like he was like uh you know he was like smoking um you know bongs you know with like patru in them you know um <laughs> Just, you know, just a misunderstood genius. Sure. Anyway, so that story happened to come out on April fourth, and like it really <laughs> it happened to come out, or, or April first rather. And he, um, you know, he just he just like enraged everybody. People were just so angry about this guy. Like, who the fuck is this asshole? How dare he? So, yeah, very interesting. Steve Delinsky was like, "Are you sure I can't get in?" <laughs> <laughs> Delinsky's got a sailboat. He's heading oh, out. Oh, man, Such an incredible funny. creative. Yeah, it was fun. I retired the April Fool's column after that. Did you read the story? It was too good. You um, couldn't top it. Remember the uh, Damon Barrel or something like that? It was a restaurant in like uh, I think it was in upstate New York. Well, it was it's a like, re- yeah, that's a real. No, I know it's a, no, I know it's a real person. But uh, did you ever read about that or try to get to that place? It was like the most Which... exclusive. It was like a ten-year wait oh. list, and then was the New York Times went. Yeah, and they it like was some, cra- but it was yeah, like he it was filled with all sorts of like weird holes and yeah, he was like he, I guess everything he cu- everything he served was like fermented at his house, yeah, and foraged, um, and it was like a ten year wait list, but like they couldn't track any of the reservations or something. Yeah, it was very. Pro- there was, I expected a follow up on that story. I just never. Yeah, I wonder it was very wonder, intriguing. I wonder if that guy's still still uh, was still, it published on April first? <laughs> 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 What's your pen name? <laughs> <laughs> I used to make reservations under my my gra- my late grandfather's name. I was G- I was Gerald Croak. Ah, yeah. Gerald Croak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, what else did we not cover? Any other questions? Well, any uh, I guess for aspiring writers, any any advice on maybe finding a story? Do you ever do you ever tweak your style depending on the subject matter, or are you always writing your voice? Uh yeah, no, I mean, I. Y- yeah, no, I don't think I, I mean, I have, I guess I have a, a style, I guess. I don't know. Hard, writing's really hard. I don't know if you've heard that, but it is. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's difficult. And I, you know, I, I, it takes me forever. 
You know, I was in, in a lot of ways, like very, when I was very young in my career, I, I was like super lucky to like start and like learn from a lot of more experienced people at the reader. Um, but the reader was like kind of an unusual place because we didn't have deadlines and we could write it back in the day. We didn't have deadlines. We could write as long as we wanted. And I had like, I had amazing editors, like people that, you know, were perfectionists and um, everything took a really long time. And I, that's how I like came up and that's how I learned. And, and to this day, um, you know, we're in an environment where like, you know, speed or, uh, you know, yeah, immediacy you're and constantly yeah. under pressure to produce more and more content. And that's really hard for me because I work very slow. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, a process or like a hack for writer's block? Just, just keep writing or do you have a process for that? Dude, I do dishes. Yeah. Um, that trap squirrels get the gears turning, <laughs> yeah. sweep the floor, <laughs> walk the dog. Um, <laughs> and do you write? Do you write at home? Do you have an office? What yeah, yeah. I work from home. I've worked from home since since I since they they made me a staff writer. That was one of the uh, that was one of the perks of being a staff writer at the readers. You didn't have to go into the office. Uh, nice. I have a, a one more funny anecdote for Mike to tell. Uh, <clears throat> there was one time where uh, Mike, I don't know. Did you recuse? There was some reason that you had a guest writer write a review for you. <laughs> it was it wasn't for you, I guess, but you had recommended a friend to write a review of a of a sushi place. That uh, everything's a fog, Danny. No one. Rob wrote that sushi review. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, wasabi. Wow, that was yeah. I've never I've I've never published anything that got as much hate as that did. <laughs> 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 I mean, that was the, the the level of uh, the level of outrage was like really. Uh, I mean, I was impressed. I was very impressed. I think. I mean, I, I'm trying to be as uh, objective as I can. I think Rob just went in and wrote a, a review that was true to him. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Rob, who? Rob Lapata, yeah. a mutual friend, yeah. and. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was just... published under your name. No, 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 no. He just under the, he su the he reader. Su he subbed for me one week. Oh, yeah, okay, I got you. I, th I think. Yeah, it was just one time. And then Trix yeah. also did one. She, uh, uh, Trix wrote a lot for the. Oh, reader. she did a yeah. bunch. Yeah. Okay. Um, like a lot of the, a lot of those capsule reviews and stuff. Yeah. Like you know, I recruited I recruited a lot of a lot of a lot of pals to write 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 for that database. Yeah. What's the worst you response you've gotten from a write up? Oh. um... Mm, I don't, you know, I've, I mean, I've gotten like a lot of angry, not a lot. I mean, not as many as you'd think, but I got a lot of, I've gotten like a lot of like angry, you know, emails and things from people. And, and now I can't remember the guy's name. Was there a time that someone, you know, said, Hey, you, you got us all wrong. And you actually like went back and either verified that you were wrong or, or no, wrong. I'm never wrong. Or <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a place that you wrote off, but then like kind of came into its own later on, and you were like, "Oh, actually. for sure." I mean, that was the. I mean, in some ways, that's really the limitations of 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 you know <laughs> having like very limited budgets. Is is and and especially in a place like a, like Chicago, where like, well, not anymore, but like uh, you know back in the day there were like restaurants opening every week and and the reader has always had this completest attitude like we have to cover everything and that and that's just impossible like there's no money for it there's no you know there's no time there's no digestive real estate yeah and there there is like you know as much as it against it's, it's sort of antithetical to the reader's mission there was like a, a sort of a pressure to like keep current yeah so all right I do mean, you is there like a grace period where you're like this place opened. I want to wait three months for them to find. Uh, I would. I would always get, give them one. Give them one month. Yeah. Um, 
and and but then you know we would go multiple visits and i would like try to um dragoon as many people as as many of my friends as i could to come with me um and uh you know so we we could try to get as much of uh you know the experience as we could mm -hmm. i just sent him that review which one <laughs> for about wasabi oh yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah that's, that's i would i would call i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to look back I would for call what that. it's worth i love wasabi i'm gonna send say me his that. phone number yeah. too so i put that out there wasabi love wasabi wasabi's not bad no it's wasabi's great. pretty good yeah and and so and some of their satellites are pretty good too like ramen takaya is pretty good yeah yeah oh yeah that is one of mm -hmm. that is them mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. All right, should we go on to the gratuity round? Let's do it. Unless there were something we didn't cover, Mike being in a band. Citizen Pain. <laughs> Great, greatest punk rock band to ever come out of yeah. the um, northern suburban, northern Pittsburgh suburbs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you haven't heard of us? I've got the, uh, I've got the eight tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. All right, Mike Sula. What's your death row meal? Uh, does it have to be a restaurant? Could it could be, be a, anything. A podcast. Anything. Brian <laughs> Jupiter listed, like, I think, like ten different dishes. He, <laughs> we had to ask him Which to stop. Which is pretty smart, actually. It is. He had his favorites. <laughs> he thought outside the box. Uh, I yeah no, I, I've been thinking about this. My um, so my mother-in-law, when we when we go to visit, she tr she tries to uh, she tries to feed me to death, um, and she so she's Korean. And uh, I think, you know, and she's, it's always, it's a typical, typical, like very balanced Korean meal. There's just like a spread of small side dishes, you know, surrounding whatever, like the They're name. They're called banchan. Banchan? Is that what they are? <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I never know. How do you spell that? Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, surrounding like the main, the main deal, uh, whether it's like a big soup or, but my favorite thing is like samgyeopsal, which is, which is pork belly. Um, I think in like the translation of samgyeopsal it might be like three ribbons or something like that. Anyway, she puts out like a, she puts out like a, like a burner and we just sit there and like. It's awesome. Sizzle pork belly, wrap it up in some lettuce, put mm. some like denjang on it. Oh, it's like one amazing. of my favorite things. Yeah. It's, a, it's a feast. So good. Yeah. What's the best Korean barbecue spot right now in town? I mean, is it is is anyone really cooking over live charcoal now? There's there's a is it still is it still Kogi like up on California? Yes, uh, I think they're still cooking with charcoal. I would I would say that one. What's it called? Kogi. Kogi. Okay. K O G I. Okay, cool. I know what we're having for lunch. Yeah, Kogi yeah. it is. Yeah. All right. This is a, I mean, this is a bad question for you, but favorite hidden gem restaurant. <laughs> um, Let's limit it to 30. <laughs> just the top 30. Uh, I can think of two really. Have you guys been to, have you guys been to Mirabella? Yeah. Um, yeah. On Addison? Yeah. Mirabella is, I love Mirabella. Mir is awesome. I love Someone Mirabella. Someone else mentioned Mirabella. I think I was talking to you about it. Oh, yeah. M Mirabella <laughs> was opened by like uh, um uh, this guy who was like the he was the he was the executive chef at Gene and Giorgetti for uh, like I don't know I think 19 years and then he op he opened his own restaurant like out 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 on uh, Addison like hard by the Kennedy and just like 
duplicate of the Gene and Giorgetti menu at like <laughs> oh, <whoa>. significantly <laughs> reduced prices. <laughs> whoa! And uh, he ended. They ended up. He didn't they get? They yeah, sued. They yeah. sued him, and then they dropped. They dro- then they dropped it to their to their credit. They dropped it. But um, it is delicious. It's great. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's just like a good neighborhood spot. It Have you guys really been is. to Sestaria in Lincolnwood? I mean, I know you, and Ronnie, love it. Yeah, Sestaria is great. Greek restaurant. All right, we'll go there for dinner. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's do it all. Yeah. All right. Um, what's your favorite fast food? Um, can it still exist? It yeah. can be. There's a, there was a, um, there's uh, a, there's a place called the original hot dog shop in Pittsburgh where I grew up that, that was a, a pandemic casualty, but I will fight anyone. Uh, it has like a better hot dog than any place in Chicago. What or, makes or, it better? Or, or yeah. Say, what's a Pittsburgh style hot dog? It's just like long, um, natural casing, like, like way more snap than a, than a Vienna natural casing, mm-hmm. lo- longer, uh, char grilled. Uh, on the flat top and you know what in Pittsburgh nobody gives a shit if you put ketchup on your hot dog I'm like <laughs> fuck that noise um, anyway they were just like they were just like whether you whether you whether you were like ketchup or not they were just like super super good super good hot dogs and super good french fries like massive these massive mounds of like you know um, fresh cut french fries is Permani Brothers overrated it's not what it used to be it's a big mini chain now and uh I feel like my last, like I, that was the other thing. When I every time I would go home, I'd have to go to the O, I'd have to go to Permanis. But Permanis, like you know, run they don't sometimes they don't fry their French fries. Permanis is a is a sandwich that uh, is is stacked with uh, like vinegar based coleslaw and French fries on this really good local Italian bread called Mancini's, and mm. it's developed in uh, the Strip District in Pittsburgh. Um, which is the equivalent of what Fulton Market used to be for truckers that needed like a one-hand meal, like mm. one hand on the sandwich, one hand on the wheel, um, and it's so it's like it's a legendary place, but it's kind of it's kind of not all that anymore. Yeah, fair enough. My favorite hot dog is Ambassador. You can only get you know Ambassador hot dogs. You can yeah. only get them in Minnesota, huh? And it's not like a store. It's just like it's like Vienna, yeah. but you go and. Every time Jim, my business partner, goes to Minnesota every summer, I always he always forgets to bring them back, but I always ask him. It's, <laughs> he won't forget amazing, after listening to like, this. But it's got that snap. Yeah. It's got like a good nice kind of smoky flavor. Uh, really good. I, like I wish it. you could get them here. Uh, have you uh, have you heard of the gym shoe sandwich? Of course, yeah. 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 I think it's disgusting. That? Was that? Wait, what? Did <laughs> no, you I mean, write about it? I mean, he, you, Rob. I never wrote about Rob it. Rob is all about it. Yeah, Rob and Peter. Yeah, that's like, a, sure. that's like a West... Uh, it's like it's out in Garfield Park, right? The original. Oh, there's, there's a, like there's a bunch of yeah, them. there's a bunch of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them. But what, isn't there an original? I don't think they ever solved the mystery of what, who yeah. invented it. But yeah. there was like a time that Rob and Peter were all about it. Yeah. So we had to eat Obsessed. them. Yeah. Not and, <laughs> and we'd always like be dreading. It. Yeah. <laughs> someone was like, "You've got to try this gym shoe." So when we were working out of the factory in Garfield Park. We like went to some. I think it was like way far out on North Avenue, and um, I, I thought it was kind of gross. Did I'll make you eat it? I think I got one for Isle. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't, didn't tell you didn't, me about it. Didn't, didn't Mickey do a version of, of the gym shoe at Scofflaw when he was there? I don't know. I mean, we did the guap because, the guap he chose because yeah. Rob took Mickey and I to have yeah. a guap, and that's kind of how it came onto the menu. Yeah. Well, the guap, there's nothing wrong with the guap. Yeah. What's the guap? Guapachosa is a sandwich that basically translates to groovy, groovy woman in uh, <laughs> sure. slang, um, okay. but it is a sandwich that essentially... It's a Mexican sandwich that uses like everything. So, whatever a place has, it's a Mexican zapata. It's like yeah, it's like everything but the kitchen sink kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. 
So at Scofflaw, we would take everything from the menu and we'd make a composite sandwich on a Tolera roll. S- secret menu item yeah, at Scofflaw, Secret menu right? item from so only, day one. Only six a night, right? <laughs> yeah, we used to be like only a handful a night. Are there current secret uh, menu I don't know if we have. I don't know if. I'm pretty sure we're not doing a guap right now, but we've. Uh, that's you a good question. Yeah, we gotta we gotta figure that out. Huh. Interesting <laughs> that I never heard about this guap. Yeah, Til you now. can read about it. Mike wrote about it. Yeah. Okay, well I'll have to learn how to read. <laughs> we'll start there. All right, Mike. What's the strangest thing you've eaten? Uh, the first time I the first time I ever went to Italy in um, I forget what the neighborhood is, but historically it was it was the Jewish ghetto in Rome. Um, like, which was right by the slaughterhouses, and and the, you know the uh, they developed like a super sophisticated like offal based cuisine um, just because they the, you know they were the underclass you know the, all the all the rich wealthy Romans got all the good cuts and everybody else got the offals uh, so there are, that still exists there are a number of restaurants like right around there in that neighborhood but there's this one particular dish that I was, <laughs> I was there with a girlfriend at the time I was like oh, there's no way I'm eating this and she ordered it it's called payata and it's like a penne penne pasta dish in like a red sauce but like mixed in with the penne are this the sectioned um in you know small intestines of a weaning veal calf so there's like mother's Mm -hmm. milk in in these in these intestines that congeal into kind of like a you know kind of like a like a little ricotta kind of thing and you would never know if if someone didn't tell you you never know that's what that was but it's it was just so so good that's a great it was good it was just the concept that was yeah disgusting it's hard hard to get hard to get past what it was but Mm -hmm. once i did it was like just delicious interesting Hmm. uh all right what's your favorite spirit well, I, uh, I mean, bourbon, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's always been that way. But I'm kind of a, can I tell you about like a current obsession? Sure. Yeah. Have you guys ever had Super Punch? No. <laughs> Super, I, I've talked a lot about Pittsburgh on this. I haven't lived there in many, many decades. But Pittsburgh, like Super Punch is an Amaro from Abruzzo. Hmm. And it is the only place in the States you can get it is in Pittsburgh. And just because some, some immigrant from Abruzzo, like, they make it in his hometown and he started importing it. It's the bartender's handshake in Pittsburgh. Hmm. It's a, it's a shot, a shot of super punch and an icy light, which is icy, icy light is iron city light, local light beer. It's awful, but super, <laughs> super punch is this, it's like a very high ABV for an Amaro. Hmm. Um, and it's, and it, but it goes down really easy and it's, um, you know, it's got like, you know, vanilla citrus notes, and then like this really hard like bubblegum finish, and it's <laughs> it's just it's it sounds awful, but it's delicious. Wow. Is it it's a really sipper? Good. Is it a shot? It's a Would shot. You make a cocktail out it's of it. A, wow. You can make a co- cocktails. It's a sh- shot shot of um, super punch and wow. icy light. Oh, this is a cool. In, it's you a know, cool label. After your shift, Pittsburgh's syrupy answer to Malort. Yeah, it's great over it's I'll great over ice cream. As Italian Jaeger. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> uh, soda. And soda and super punch. Wow. Last time I was last time I was home, I brought back several. I should have brought some. Yeah, where is it? That's at home. Do you have any in ne- your pocket? Next, next time. <laughs> Under your beanie. No. Is that what's in that Camelback? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what trivia category would you dominate? Uh, I'm getting really good at birds. Like hmm. I got I got I got into I got into birds uh, during the pandemic. I didn't make bread. I, I had a neighbor making really good bread, so I had to I had to do birds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, probably birds. Maybe birds. So, are you, are you bird watching? How does that? Just out the back door. I don't. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't like go out and search them. But I've had. You know, I had a super interesting summer. I had these two. Um, they're called sharp shinned hawks. Um, they're often like confused with the cooper hawks. But there was a pair of them in this giant um, 
oak in, in front of my house. And uh, they would just sit up there all day and shriek at each other. And I, I love them. Mm. Um, <laughs> and they would leave me like they would leave me rat parts in the backyard. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were killers. They were they were awesome. They're, they go- s- they're gone now. They're not there anymore. But huh. hawks though don't migrate, right? So they just moved on. I th- I think they yeah they must have you know they must have found Birds a better, prey, not a better spot. They must after they after they ate all the rats they must have moved on. Well, to no squirrels to better eat. spot. No squirrels <laughs> left. <laughs> They never got a squirrel. I, I still have squirrels back there. They kind of they don't you know, they don't mess with me anymore for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, to what do you attribute your success? Who, who who said anything about success? Danny mentioned something before you got here that you might have had some success in the past. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I'm very I'm very lucky because I'm doing you know what I what I always wanted to do like since I was a kid. Um, it's be on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky. You know, I get to I get to write about, you know, what I'm passionate about. Um why uh that happened, I don't know. I think just like a lot of um just, you know, persistence, I yeah, guess. It you seems know, like you're pretty keep, persistent early on. Yeah. Keep yeah, that yeah, that ship has sailed, but um yeah, early on it was. Well, I think there's a lesson <laughs> to be learned in that you take your time putting things together and I think as a result your writing is considered pretty pretty solid. Yeah. Oh, thanks. You're not just like pumping out a bunch of content, right? Well, that's all. That's also kind of a source of anxiety. So, I mean, I I guess I would attribute anxiety to like whatever you know small success I might have had too. Like it's pressure, deadline pressure. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then performance last... anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last question here. What is something that bars or restaurants do that annoys you? I don't know. You know, I th- I like this. This is. A... I've really been dithering about this one because I've, this is going to sound like so Pollyanna-ish, but I like I'm kind of when I go into a restaurant now, I really kind of ap- approach it from like a um, like a perspective of like uh, I don't know. I mean, gratitude's the wrong word, but like I know what I know. There's a lot, there's like still everybody's still in trouble, you know. Yeah. It's like everybody's understaffed, and I, I don't. You know, when things go wrong, I don't get, like, as annoyed as I used to anymore. All right, four years ago, what would annoy you? I was, like, really annoyed about how, you know, every restaurant that opened, like, we gotta, we have to repeal this city ordinance that requires every new restaurant to open with a burger on the menu. (laughs) There are too many. (laughs) There's just too many. And it's like, I mean, that's not a big deal to, like, the average restaurant goer, but I would be obligated to, like, try the burger, eat the burger. I just, I got really annoyed by that. Yeah. There's a small Cheval going in across the street from my house. Nothing wrong with that. Love, 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 uh, they have mashed two, burger. Yeah, they have they're two classic. different burgers. Oh. Yeah, and they're both they're both excellent. They're both amazing. I prefer the smash one though. Which is the one that comes with vinegar? Um, like that's the for dip the fries. It. Yeah, I know. But well, they both come malt. with fries. I know, but malt vinegar. Do both situation. of them come with the vinegar for the fries? Oh yeah. Okay. You betcha. It's delicious. <laughs> you bet your bippy, Danny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, it's all good. All right. Well, that's a wrap on Mike Sula. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a delight. A lot Thank of fun. you. Thank you.
And that concludes our conversation with Mike Sula from Chicago Reader. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check us out on Instagram at JoinersPod for weekly updates, including throwback photos of our guests and special cocktails designed for them by Danny Shapiro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock and Teo Haddock, and music by Captain Cuts. Thanks for checking us out. We'll check in with you next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.